It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's Locked On Reds, and in fact, every podcast episode for the month of May for the Locked On Reds podcast is brought to you by Built Bar. Reach for the best tasting protein bar that's actually tastes like a candy bar on the market today. Go to builtbar.com and in the checkout, enter promo code locked on. That's L O C K E D O N for $10 off your first order. You are locked on Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into your daily source for the Cincinnati Reds throughout the offseason. This is the Locked On Reds podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Carr. And here we go. Alrighty, for today's Locked On Reds, I have back with me. For another go-around, except this time, we're not going to be talking about player evaluations. We're looking back in the time machine. We're going back in time to 2012. Going to talk about that awesome season with Stephen Offenbaker. Steve, how you doing, sir? Aloha. I am doing good. How's it over there in Cincinnati, Jeff? It's hot, and I love it. It's hot. I love All right. it. Right. Was outside. Hey, listen, since we're doing since we're doing 2012, I'm yeah. just curious um, how it is that you've managed to maintain the same hairstyle since 2012. <laughs> I uh, well, it's funny because I tried what I thought were different hairstyles, and what I do is I get out of the shower and I put a hat on, so it really doesn't matter <laughs> what I tell the barber to do. At the end of the day, there's a hat on top. Well, I can feel you because I've been shaving my head since well before then. So um, I also have the same hairstyle since 2012. Keeping it consistent. That's the way to be. Way to be. So we're, we're looking at this season. And before we get to the end, because we all remember the end. And it's kind of a point that I want to make, and I'm going to save it for that. But this season as a whole, the Reds were fun. I mean, I mean, I know that uh, the playoffs and all that good stuff, but 97 wins, what a year, especially coming off a year where they literally had the flip-flop, they had 79 wins, and you had the amazingness that was Joey Votto, although he didn't qualify for any statistical categories because he did miss a little bit of time. He only played 111 games. But in those 111 games, he had an OPS plus of 177. What? This was a World Series winning team. And yeah. and when we talk about the end, we'll talk about the end. But, you know, it was very clear from, you know, even the All-Star break in 2012 that this team had potential to be playing deep into October. And it was just a fun time to be a Reds fan. And, uh, you know, hopefully those times are coming again. But this was definitely a team of um, some characters, a team of uh, role players that all hit their stride at the same time. And it was a lot of fun to watch. 
looking back at the roster, it was kind of funny to see because I, I, I looked at the season previews on Monday from most of the national writers like Bleacher Report and shout out to Grantland back then and things like that that were looking at the Reds as interesting but not anyone that they're taking seriously. They looked at their big off-season acquisition of Matt Latos and then the funnier part about that was number two and number three as far as off-season acquisitions go were Sean Marshall and Ryan Madsen one of which only had one good year and one of which started a fight a couple years later because he wasn't even on the same team anymore and he never pitched as a red. So it's it's funny in hindsight to go look back at those. I mean, they didn't even list Ryan Ludwig as a big get for the Reds and he turned out to have a pretty good season. But on the whole, when you think about... Think past the playoffs for a minute. What's the number one thing you remember about that year? You know, for me, uh, Jay Bruce stands out in that particular season and just, you know, him absolutely tattooed baseballs that year. Uh, that sticks out to me. And then, you know, the the performance of – you know, Johnny Coito and would he make it to 20 wins? And, you know, so close. you know, we had we had this ace, you know, that, you know, much like it is now when Castillo goes out there, when it's his day, when it was Johnny's turn in the rotation, I fully expected that the Reds were going to win the game. And, you know, then also, um, you know, Aroldis Chapman at, on the back end of the game. Uh, you know, that was a level of excitement with that pitching staff that uh, I think last year and this year's Reds is something that they've they've tried to mirror in, in building that kind of excitement within the pitching staff. This is a fun thing that I've always wondered. And in, in reading some of the previews, Bleacher Report especially, actually had Chapman listed as the number six starter. They had Sean Marshall listed as the closer with Madsen, or actually flip that they had Ryan Madsen listed as the potential closer before the season started and they they almost looked at Chapman as a starter and I know that was a hot button issue back in the day now we have the benefit of hindsight what do you think of when you look back on a road as Chapman do you think man I was happy with what we got out of him or was there a oh, no. wonder of man? What? Oh, if, no, no, no. What if I, I, I needed to see? I needed to see him as a starter. I, I wanted wish, to man. see him as a starter, and I was so disappointed. Um, you know, in fact, 2012 spring training is when he came out in the media, said he wanted to be a closer, and you know, up until that point, there was a lot of speculation that he was going to be competing for a spot in the rotation in the 2012 season. And I just remember being so disappointed that we weren't going to get to see that because I really thought he could be a Jason Verlander type who could still be throwing, you know, 98, 99, 100 in the ninth inning of a baseball game. Uh, I, I think he had that kind of talent. And I really feel like, uh, you know, yeah, the saves are sexy or whatever, but I really feel like, you know, he missed out on an opportunity to be something spectacular Jason, by being a starting pitcher that could de deliver at that level. 
Jason Verlander, the talented older brother of Justin Verlander. But um, no, I'm just kidding, Steve. Um, <laughs> Did I say Jason Verlander? You said Jason Verlander. Yeah. Sorry. I had well, obviously, I, I meant Justin Verlander. But yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Yeah, Verlander, you know. Verlander, I don't know if he could still do it today, but, you know, there was a time in Detroit when, you know, Verlander would be going into the seventh, eighth, ninth inning and he would still be throwing in the high 90s. And I think that Chapman had that same kind of arm strength and talent that if given the opportunity to start, he could have run out there and still been blowing the ball past guys in the ninth inning. And that's just not something you see every day. And I think that that's the factor that allows a starting pitcher to overcome the third time through the lineup syndrome when they can reach back and find another gear and and show the hitter something they haven't seen the first two th- two times through. So I think Chapman had that unique ability that he could have been successful if uh, if he had I don't know if cooperated is the the right word if the Reds had stuck to their guns. I don't know. I don't know who was more of a factor there, but I do feel like we missed out in not getting to see that. Maybe kept an open mind is what we're looking for, but that's probably that's probably fair. And it makes me wonder because knowing his off-field antics and knowing the personality that came through in the news and different things like that, I almost wonder if whenever a pitching coach was running through strategy and all that stuff with him. If he looked at it and he said, well, if I can reach back here and grab this other gear and toss a 103-mile-an-hour fastball, why not pitch every single pitch that way and just be a reliever and come in and pitch for a really short stint? And and, and that's, the, that's the only way that I can rationalize as to why he fixated on being a closer over a starter because – no one really pulled him aside and said, dude, you can make way more money if you choose to be a starter. Because that that right there, if I'm Aroldis Chapman, I'm like, uh, okay, more money. Yeah, I'll be a starter. And, and you know, for me, even beyond all that, and all of those are valid points. All of those are things that someone should have given some consideration to. But for me, and maybe I'm in the minority in the way that I think about this, is I have long felt that closers in particular are just dramatically overrated. Yes. I don't I don't buy into this idea that you need your your best guy, you know, there for the ninth inning. I think baseball has changed too much and the use of matchups has changed too much that I would much rather have a guy available to me either in high leverage situations, which we tried to do with Iglesias before he had his mental meltdown, or, you know, if you can give me six innings every five days, I would much rather that than hopefully uh, maybe we have a situation for you in the ninth three or four times a week. I would just much rather know that I can trot you out there once a week and you're going to blow people's doors off with your fastball. That would be a heck of a sporkle quiz right now is that if you could name all major league closers in the game right now because I couldn't. I I mean like you know one of the one of the best guys in the game, Kirby Yates, literally – became a thing like two years ago and that's it before then nobody knew who he was Cody Allen one of the key cogs in that Indians bullpen when they were so dominant where is he what's he doing right now when they're really good they last for like a year or two or if they're like Eric Gagne maybe three or four and then they're gone and we so don't you know I'm, yeah I'm, I'm sorry just to jump in because you're you're exactly where I wanted to go which is 
that part of the problem with the relievers is uh, in many, many cases, relievers never really learn to pitch. Yeah. They're just out there throwing. They're throwing as hard as they can. And even with Amir Garrett, as much success as he had last season, he was basically throwing two pitches. He wasn't learning the art of pitching. He he was just blowing people's doors off, but eventually the league catches up. The hitters always catch up. Whereas a starting pitcher has to learn to change speeds and mix pitches and change arm angles and really learn the art of being a major league pitcher. And I think that's why they get more money. That's why they have more success over a longer period of time because eventually, you know, these these hitters that are so invested in watching film now and preparing and and knowing, you know, what they're going to be facing before they step into the batter's box, you know, they really take away the advantage of a relief pitcher. And we see it now, you know, pitchers don't even uh, string together an entire season of greatness. Relievers make it to the all-star break and then the hitters adjust. And that's because they're just throwing. And, you know, I would love to, I would love to see, you know, much less reliance on relievers and much more usage of starting pitchers and the art of pitching. And that I mean, no more, no better example on the 2012 Reds of the fickleness of reliever uh, success than Jose Arredondo. He never pitched after this season, and I always thought that was interesting. And real quick, guys, there's this awesome thing called Built Bar. It's a protein bar. It's like super healthy, but it tastes like a candy bar. Go check it out. It's at builtbar.com, and I got a code for you. You put in the code Locked On. You'll get $10 off your first order right now. Really awesome deal going on. This company is amazing. You get $5 off each box when you order right now. I, I, I mean, it's so tasty. I've ordered like two or three. And they're really personal too. Whenever you order, but you know, place your order, they email you a thank you note. It's like a personal note. It's not an automated note. Oh, hey, this is the automated thing automated thinking machine no 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 it's a real person emails you thanks you they want your business and they've got a lot of ways that you can benefit from their business with that ten dollars off your first order five dollars off every single box for this week only that's the week of memorial day go check them out right now builtbar.com with the promo code locked on lots of great flavors lots of great taste and it's super healthy for you as well builtbar.com and the promo code locked on. Also sponsoring today's podcast is the audiobook edition of 24 Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid. In this reflective and inspirational memoir, the legendary Willie Mays shares the inspirations and influences responsible for guiding him on and off the field. Widely regarded as the greatest all-around player in baseball history, one of my favorite players to study in the history of baseball, the beloved Willie Mays offers people of all ages his lifetime of experience meeting challenges with positivity, integrity, and triumph. This special audiobook production includes a forward read by Bob Costas and a bonus conversation with Willie Mays and his co-author, John Shea. Whether you miss seeing your favorite players on the field this season or you're looking for the, the perfect Father's Day gift, 24 is the inspiring story of one of sports fans' favorite living legends and an awesome idea for a gift. Buy the audiobook edition of 24 now wherever audiobooks are sold. And one last thing on the pitching, too, just something that I noticed looking at the baseball reference page, the Reds actually led the National League in complete games that year. They had nine complete games led the National League. That's, I, I don't know if we'll ever say that again about a Reds team, much less 
having five starters make every single start except for that one doubleheader in which Todd Redmond had to Todd Redmond had to be called up from AAA to start that one game. But other than that, they were completely healthy. I don't know that we'll ever see that again. I don't think so. And, and interesting you bring up Jose Arandondo because, I mean, this guy was only 28 years old. Right. You know, 28 years old, 6-2, and 2.95 ERA, pitched in 66 games, and he's gone. 61 innings pitched. And, and, and aloha, bye, gone. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to me. And the value replaced on these relievers when they're, you know, it's like running backs in football. You know, they're 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 it's interchangeable parts as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you know, there are some truly great ones out there, but at the end of the day, you just need to find a group that you can throw together that can find some success to get you through the back half of a ball game. And it's not going to be a place where I think you really want to put great talent. I think that you want to use your great talent where you can maximize the return on that talent and and they did not do that with Chapman which is kind of where we all started with this they just they did not do that no I, I totally agree and and jumping in now because Chapman is inevitably linked to the subject that we have to talk about when it comes to 2012 the number one thing that everyone thinks of and whenever I asked you that question what's the first thing you think of besides the playoffs is that when you think of the 2012 Reds, Reds you think of the freaking playoffs. And as annoying as it is to unpack what happened in that season, I have a question for you because it's a very football mentality, but I think it has permeated all sports now in that all sports fans agree. If you are a postseason team, you make it to the postseason but you have the kind of flash in the pan that the Reds have, it completely, well, maybe not completely, but it almost invalidates the entire season. Do you feel this way? Oh, no, it does. 97 wins didn't do the thing. It, it, you know, it. the only thing that that season really stands for in my mind is is one of the more epic postseason collapses in Reds history. Mm. And it doesn't matter that they won 97 games. It doesn't matter that Johnny Cueto had 19 wins. It doesn't matter that Jay Bruce hit 34 home runs. It doesn't matter that a collection of, of ragtag bullpen guys had a, had a tremendous success coming into games. None of that matters because what the only thing that matters is three losses in a row after going up 2-0. You know, where does the fault lie? Just since we're since we're at the end of 2012, I think the epic the epic collapse in that playoff series is that Dusty's fault. Do you blame Dusty? See, now here's the thing. I'm a little bit more of an optimist, and I think you know that. But I'm a little bit more of an optimist, and when I look back on 2012, the blame that I lay most of it on is unluck, un unluckiness, bad luck when it came to Johnny Cueto getting hurt, because that changed the entire complexion of the series. You no longer had him to throw out there on the mound, and that that messed up the rotation a little bit and all that good stuff. So I put most of that onto bad luck. I do put part of it onto him, like some of the bullpen uh, decisions, because those get magnified, right? He he mm -hmm. He refused to use Chapman when he needed to. He was like, well, yeah, this, is, this is really the spot for a closer. I better go get somebody else. 
I got to get a different reliever. I uh, th- th- we can't put our closer in now. It's too early. And like you said, there, the, for cl- sure, there's opportunities yeah. in all three of those losses that that he could have used his best arm in the pin, and he didn't. And shut the door. Exactly. Because you don't necessarily, and that's the one thing that I think most managers nowadays have started to grasp is that the opportunity to shut the door does not have to be the ninth inning. And in a lot of cases is not the ninth inning. Sometimes it's like the seventh and you got to be cognizant of that. And I don't think Dusty was. So yeah, he gets a little bit of the blame and you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I don't think he should have got run right. out of town for that. But at the same token, that's kind of where we were. The Reds were successful for two out of three seasons to a point, and then you get to that point, and you're like, oh. And then you got this other team on the other side of the banks that, yeah, they're really good at getting to that point, and they fail, but they keep the coach around. So that's where people, Mm -hmm. I think, kind of got a little antsy when it came to changing out the managerial spot, when I don't think that change, hindsight being, was necessary. And, you know, and nothing against Dusty. I mean, I think Dusty's a great person, a great baseball guy. And just as an example, I think he was a great hire for Houston to try and get past the whole cheating scandal that they had going on because Dusty's truly an ambassador of the game. So, you know, in that respect, you know, I love that he's still in the game and that he's still around. But I really do feel like he made some decisions as – the series continued to degenerate into what it degenerated into that puts the losses on him. And I mean, I know that's probably not fair, but I do. I blame dusty. I blame dusty for the losses in game four and game five. I think just in being unwilling to do what needed to be done to try and salvage it. That's, I mean, that's fair. And and we're in a, spot now when we look back on 2012 that we're we're talking about blame as opposed to talking about celebrating and that's just kind of the way it is and even though i i chose to focus on 2012 i i really enjoyed the season and the success that the reds had and how fun i remember that summer being uh yeah you, you still run into that inevitable wall that was the playoffs. Steve, I thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. What do we got coming up on the Reds Alert podcast? Well, on the Reds Alert podcast, I believe we are going to have a roundtable discussion uh, featuring uh, yourself as well as me and uh, uh, where we're going to take a look at the economic proposal that Major League Baseball sent over to the players on Tuesday the 26th. Will snacks be provided or do I need to bring my own? I think it's bring your own snacks as well as uh, your beverage of choice. Damn COVID. All right. Well, that sounds like a good plan. (laughs) We'll look forward to that podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for being on the show, Steve, and we'll have you on again soon. All right. I look forward to it. Aloha. That'll do it for the latest edition of the Locked On Reds podcast. Make sure that you are subscribed on all the many podcasting platforms out there, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, whatever 
iHeartRadio, all that good stuff. We're on it all. Also, follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs. Follow the show at Locked On Reds. Also on Instagram at Locked On Reds and Facebook at Locked On Reds. And save the Locked On Reds line number into your phone at 513-549-0159. You're not going to want to miss tomorrow's episode. Tomorrow, going to have one of the key pieces of that 2012 Reds season on with me. The ace of the Locked On Reds podcast, Bronson Arroyo, will join me tomorrow. You're not going to want to miss that at all. So subscribe and download and listen and all that good stuff. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Now, tell your smart device to play Locked On Fantasy Baseball. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.